This is the Gender Justice Brief, a podcast of gender justice. We fight for gender equity by breaking down legal, structural, and cultural barriers and expanding protections. We want to see all people thrive, regardless of their gender, gender expression, and sexual orientation. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Gender Justice Brief. My name is Erin May Quaid. I am the Special Projects Advisor. I use she, her pronouns. And we have a great episode today. I have three guests with me from abortion funds here in Minnesota. I'm going to let them introduce themselves because they are some of the most incredible people I have ever had the privilege of working with. And so, Shayla, I'm going to come to you first. Tell us your name, pronouns, if you care to share, and what your role is at what organization. Peace, everyone. Um, My name is Shayla. I'm the executive director of Our Justice. We are the oldest abortion fund in Minnesota, and I'm pretty sure the United States. I will pass it to my colleague, Shavanda. Hi, I'm Shavanda. I use she, her, they, them pronouns, and I am the communications and advocacy director over at Our Justice. And I'll pass it. How's it going? My name is Destiny Spades. My pronouns are she and her, and I am the president of Prairie Abortion Fund, operating in North Dakota, but serving callers from North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota, traveling within or to our region for care. And we're going to get into all the work that you all do, but I just, again, like the work that you do is so vital and important. I think sometimes it can live a little bit under the radar for people who aren't at this moment, accessing abortion care or working at a clinic or doing work deep in the movement, it can be invisible sometimes to people who care a lot about this issue. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. We are recording today on the, I'm going to call it, well, it's like the quote unquote March for Life, which is like the anti-abortion DC rally. And it's really interesting to me because we know that abortion bans and abortion restrictions increase maternal mortality and have killed many women and people with uteri in the United States, but specifically since Roe was overturned. And so the irony is not lost on me that at this quote unquote March for Life is happening on the actual backs of people who have died that these activists have been advocating for and are now advocating to not have people be diagnosed with fetal anomalies and all of these things. Like it is just, it's pretty horrific. So we are going to center our conversation on the people who matter the most. Our coalition, Unrestrict Minnesota, we announced our Beyond Roe agenda the day that Roe was overturned. And today, when this podcast is released, is the anniversary of when Roe decision came out. So we're going to talk a little bit about why we have focused on Beyond Roe. We're going to talk about what's changed since Roe was overturned and probably most importantly, what hasn't changed. Shayla, I'm going to come to you first. Talk a little bit about what abortion funds are. What do you want people to know about them? And then talk a little bit about what makes our justice so special. Yeah. So abortion funds are organizations, a lot of them led by volunteers, like not people who are not paid, people who do this on their free time with their friends, with their community. And they support people getting them funds that they need to have their abortion. And fundraising can look like having monthly donors give anywhere between 10 to $5 a month to help sustain um, the organization or the collective. It could look like throwing a birthday party and having people donate to your birthday party so that it can get funneled into the fund and the funds can be used for people either um, traveling for their abortion. So for travel costs, like 
gas or childcare, or it can go directly um, to cover the cost of the procedure. Our justice, we are special because we've been around since before Roe. We were founded in 1967, and we were founded by folks who are in the community who are clergy members, doctors, um, just all sorts of folks who just wanted to come together and make sure that people would be able to access their bodily autonomy and that um, funds wouldn't be a barrier. Back in the day, we were flying people out as far as Japan to get their abortions. And now we are like the North Star in the Midwest, taking in so many people who lost access over the course of last year. We had a, our justice had seen a 72% increase of giving to folks who've reached out to our fund. Uh, so funds are pretty important. We pay for people's health care. We meet the need when there is one. Which is, it speaks to so much that is wrong with the American healthcare system but particularly the way in which abortion specifically has been impacted. But it, it's all reproductive health care because I think, Destiny, I'm going to come to you and talk a little bit about the Prairie Abortion Fund, your relationship to Minnesota and the clinic that you have a relationship with. It, with and then um, I'm going to ask you a question about birth control because I read something you said about birth control recently. Go ahead, Destiny. Yeah, absolutely. So our fund was founded in 1999 in response to the Hyde Amendment, which prohibits um, folks who receive um, Medicaid assistance from using that funding for their abortion appointments. And so with that, North and South Dakota residents receiving Medicaid were unable to access abortion or their abortions were super cost prohibitive. That's the sort of basis of what what the fund was founded on. And since then, we've increased exponentially as far as who our callers are, what we're able to fund. We've expanded into practical support and birth control assistance. We pay for STI testing. We are buying Amtrak tickets and flights and spending money on hotels for folks who need to travel for care historically or within the last for the last 20 years. We only had one abortion a clinic abortion clinic in the state of North Dakota. They have since moved across the river about seven minutes away to Minnesota, which has been a bit of a blessing in disguise because of the access that's that's possible within the state of Minnesota. But it is the principle that our clinic was forced to close and that North Dakota and South Dakota are now existing without uh, abortion clinics. So our relationship as far as Minnesota goes, um, our fund is rooted right on the border between North Dakota and Minnesota. And so about 40% of our callers are Minnesotan to begin with. The remainder of our callers are North and South Dakotan. And those folks are now forced to travel out of state for their care. So everybody is leaving the state of North Dakota. Everybody is leaving the state of South Dakota. Um, if and when they need abortion care. It's just so, I think one of the things that happens in Minnesota, we did the opposite of what a lot of states did, right? More than half the states in the country have banned abortion or severely limited access to the point that is essentially banned or all the clinics had to close. Um, and in Minnesota, we repealed the abortion restrictions and we did, you know, we did that work over four years, right? Before Roe was overturned um, with unrestricted Minnesota. And so now we are a place where people can legally get the care that they need. But um, that doesn't always mean that they can. 
And Shavanda, I saw your eyes lighting up when I mentioned birth control. So I want to like, I, I read Destiny that you had said back in 2022 that there was a four time increase in requests for birth control coverage from January to June in 2022. Destiny, Shavanda or Shayla, tell, talk to me a little bit about like how funds also cover more than just abortion care. I can speak to my quote. What we saw was an exponential increase in requests for birth control assistance. And I think the history behind that was people had a deep fear of the abortion restrictions continuing and getting more and more severe. <clears throat> and so with that, they were requesting um, birth control, specifically IUD, that will give them pregnancy protection for several years and hopefully get them past this hellscape that we're experience right, experiencing right now. We've made it a priority to make sure that birth control is an option for folks. And if it is cost prohibitive, they're uninsured, they're underinsured, maybe they can't access a compassionate clinic within their community. So when they're traveling for their abortion care, making sure that they're all, we know that they're seeing a compassionate provider when they're having their abortion and that provider is able to prescribe for that prescription to them and we would cover the cost. We're taking on a, a more proactive approach and have expanded our funding parameters. So now it's not required that you be at your abortion appointment when you receive that prescription birth control. We are partnering with a local clinic who specializes in trans and reproductive health and will be covering the cost of all birth control appointments and prescriptions for a whole month. And those prescriptions will last for a year. And bringing that to the community, I do have a little bit of grief with it just because it feels something that folks feel like they have to do now, getting the IUD. And it's not something that they went into enthusiastically. Maybe they're doing it under a little bit of duress and fear, yeah. which is unfortunate. But I am really proud of this fund that's been able to provide those grants to them and say yes to those callers as far as IUDs and implants go. Yeah, I, Destiny, one of the things I was, I've been talking about a lot is the grief that I'm feeling about with these six-week abortion bans and, and these like week limitations. It doesn't give people a time to think or plan or have conversations. And so it's actually pushing people to make decisions much faster than they might otherwise make so that they can feel secure in their life. And that is just like what you're talking about with IUDs or with birth control. It's like not having the uh, ability to make your own decisions forces you to make different decisions to make sure you don't end up in a place where you don't have control. Shavanda, I do want to come to you because your your eyes lit up so many times during this. And I just want to open this, like you're such an incredible person. I want to open the space for you to join the conversation. Oh, yes. No, definitely. I just completely agree with everything Destiny was saying it, with her quote that people don't necessarily want to choose these specific messages, but that's what they seek because they know they'll have a long-term safety. And something that I just wanted to center within this conversation was Black maternal health and also speaking to folks really wanting to have their own culture be centered and have more holistic care and listen to their bodies more, but with more restrictions means an increase in the disparities in Black maternal health and an increase in fear-based decisions, such as getting IUDs that are, that are going to last for 10 years. And it's, well, it's, I know I'm going to be safe for this amount of time versus being able to listen to my body and really choose it. We really get stripped of our bodily autonomy when things like this occur. 
which is insane and nothing that, you know, anyone wishes to go through themselves. Something that we do is provide free plan B for folks. And we have different sites within different community centered places where folks can get those needs met and get that support. But with these restrictions and with these rollbacks, there's just an increase in the disparities that already exist. And it just makes, it makes for a scarier world. Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead, Sheila. Yeah, yeah, jump in. Okay, sorry about that. But I was going to jump in and say, Shavanda, I really appreciate the language that you use that it strips us of our bodily autonomy because it's not decision-making when it's um, manipulative. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what it is. It's manipulation, um, fear-based manipulation. Um, I really appreciate that you brought up maternal mortality and specifically to Black mothers, Black birthing people, because that is such a big issue. And everybody seems like they want to talk about it, whether you're on the left or you're on the right. You're like, oh, my gosh, we need to talk about folks having babies and protect the babies. And yeah, that's so important. And I'm totally here for that. But we are not protecting the people who are bringing the babies into this world. We are not. We don't have comprehensive health care. People are. I cannot make decisions, decisions like based on their authentic feelings about the situation. They're making decisions based on fear. And so that is really, I really sit and resonate with Destiny, what you said about you're excited that we have this opportunity to provide this service, but at the same time, it just doesn't feel like it's justice because, yeah, it's fear-based. Yeah, that that was exactly what I was going to say, Sheila. I wanted to lift that up. Like fear-based decision-making is, is exactly what people are being pushed to. And, and you don't have to look that far to know that if you're optionate or potentially get pregnant and then be denied life-saving care or denied a diagnosis to, to get accurate care or be turned away from an emergency room to go home and have a miscarriage and then be arrested for it. If, the, if that is on one side and the other side is an IUD, I, I would choose the IUD too, even if in a different state, I would be able to get pregnant and it wouldn't be da- as dangerous. And so it is fear-based decision-making. Uh, before we get too far into it, I do think it's really important to, to say two things. One, where can people find these abortion funds? And Shabana, you mentioned some of the services, Plan B, that are available throughout the community. Will you tell people where those things are at so that they know? Yes. So we provide services and we have w- this Plan B the community spaces that we partner with to provide the free plan B that folks can go to a calendar and ask for our Flavor Cafe in St. Paul, Be Resale in a South Minneapolis, and Shertikva, a Jewish synagogue. Amazing. And we, I love watching all the partnerships happen throughout the Unrestricted Coalition because we've had, I'm sure our Shertikva um, connections also come through our connections with NCJW as a coalition partner and JCA, Jewish Community Action. So I just, I love seeing all that. Destiny, where can people find, oh, and it's rjustice.net for your website too. And Destiny, where can people find Prairie Abortion Fund on the interwebs and in community? Absolutely. So prairieabortion.org is our website. Uh, We did just recently rebrand. And so it's a beautiful, really comprehensive site that we're super proud of. Um, we have a really great resource page supporting folks before, during, and after uh, their abortions. And as Shavanda mentioned where Plan B can be found in the Twin Cities area. In Fargo, we have a partnership with Canopy Medical. 
Somebody just needs to approach the front desk, ask for the plan B that they need. They'll receive plan B and a few pregnancy tests to take home with them. And then we always bring a ton of plan B to our tabling events. So we have plan B, Narcan, pregnancy tests. And so when people approach our table, we can have a very candid conversation with them about abortion access, but making sure that they're leaving with a few resources to take home and put in their medicine cabinet. Amazing. Amazing. And plan B, just for everyone's information, prevents pregnancy from happening. It can prevent the implantation, I believe, in the uterine lining and or the ovulation. But if it, if you've already ovulated or it's already implanted, it doesn't really do anything. So it's time to the medication. I feel sure. Now, with plan B, it's not the magical pill. They do have weight restrictions. Even somebody like myself would probably should not just rely on plan B as a form of like present, preventing an unwanted pregnancy, if that's the route that they want to go. Ella is an option, but it's a prescription only emergency contraceptive. So when we are partnering with Canopy next month, we'll be offering Ella prescriptions across the board for people that focus or who qualify within that, within those weight parameters. It's really unfortunate that Ella isn't over the counter yet, but fingers crossed it happens sooner rather than later. I don't want to get like too much on a pedestal, but it just speaks to the fat phobia that exists in our healthcare of making it more difficult for folks over 150 pounds to prevent his unwanted pregnancy. And to not advertise that. I learned that from the show Shrill with A.D. Bryant. I didn't know that before I saw that TV show. And so I'm thank you for mentioning that. That's wonderful. And I hope we do get Ella. I was yeah. going to say also, uh, I love that idea, Destiny. It's given me so many ideas for our justice to team up with one of our clinic partners and just give out Ella prescriptions because I didn't even think of that. So I love that idea. I also wanted to just highlight that our justice, we do have uh, volunteer delivery drivers. So they drive around in the Twin Cities dropping off Plan B. So if you can't pick up at one of our sites, if you're in the Twin Cities, we can do a drop off and we also mail out Plan B. And then we have a text line. Can we give the number out on here? Please do. Okay. So it's 612-208-7119. And that's our text line number. And if you hit us up on there, we can figure out if delivery, pickup, or mailing would be the best option for you. And we will include that number in the show notes as well. So folks will have that. And it sounds because a lot of what you all do, you have delivery drivers, you're partnering and tabling at events. Sounds like there's a lot of volunteer opportunities with the abortion funds. Am I right? For our justice, we just onboarded our volunteers. We probably won't be doing another volunteer onboard until I would say possibly the fall because we just got done with our round of volunteering. But we have so many great volunteers and so many dedicated ones. And they're, they come at all levels. If you want to do one-time drop-offs or like a couple of drop-offs a year, like there's a place for you. Or if you want to dedicate almost like five to six hours a month answering phone calls and emails from people who reach out to us looking for funds and hotel support, there's also a space for you. So we have all types of volunteer opportunities depending on what you're looking for and what your capacity to give your time. That's amazing. Destiny, I'll come to you too before I interject with an idea. Yeah. So our organization is ran by volunteers. There are seven of us and we're technically a board of directors who are running the org. We also have a really tight-knit community support. So 
Like tonight, we have a really big event happening and there are four people who are volunteers who are just showing up. They they love this fund. They love this work. They maybe don't have the capacity to support the fund with their hours year round, but they know that like when this event comes around, they're going to be throwing their time into it. And so that's so appreciated. As far as folks like getting more involved, not necessarily volunteering, we do and folks uh, encourage folks to join our book club. So this is the five year anniversary of our book club where we read abortion related books, reproductive justice, birthing justice, doula work. And we read fiction and nonfiction and memoirs and abortion stories. And it's really magical. And that has actually been the space where we have recruited, I think, five of our last eight board members. They begin to attend book club. They're able to have nuanced and questioning conversations. And we really try to foster a safe space of learning and it really encourage folks to reflect on their biases that they have. So by the time that they're joining the board, they are gung-ho as far as like abortion on demand without apology, no restriction, and really getting them motivated to do this work. That's amazing. And I will say for anyone listening who might, doesn't sound like there's an onboarding for volunteers at our justice until the fall, it's only January. So between now and then, You could donate $5 a month, right? Like the cost of one cup of coffee, be a recurring donor to support gas for these drivers who are driving around and for people's practical support and for their actual health care. And same with Prairie Abortion Fund. If you don't have time to join the book club or give, you know, several hours for a really incredible event, like supporting the organizations that do this work, like that is its form of volunteering. That is my climate activism right now because it's all I have time for is $5 a month to my climate justice groups, and that's okay. And so I really want to encourage folks to um, support these organizations that are doing this incredible work and telling folks about abortion funds that we do exist, sharing our content on social media, and then at its absolute core is just having abortion conversations within your community. Learn from what abortion funds are teaching you and then take that back to your parents and your friends and your colleagues and have these really compassionate conversations about abortion that discuss abortion stigma and that empower abortion seekers. And I think that's really powerful in that folks want to throw their their time and money into things, but it really starts within our communities and within these small coffee table conversations. Absolutely. That's, I appreciate that. I'm going to shift us a little bit because I want to talk about, I've been thinking about what was the difference between the work you do before Roe and after Roe. But I also know SB8 was actually a really pivotal moment too. Um, And SB8 was a Texas law that allowed individual citizens to sue other individual citizens for helping people access abortion care. Again, this was before Roe was, this was before I think they even heard the case to overturn Roe v. Wade at the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court just allowed it to go into effect. It's a vigilante law. And that was the shift, the marked shift in where we saw this hostility really reach its fever pitch before Rose overturned. So I just want to have each of you weigh in with what did the work look like in 2019 and what does it look like now? What are the differences that you're seeing? What do you want people to know about what's changed? I would say what's changed is we've had a significant increase of travelers. (laughs) That's the major difference is just like doing so much case management and navigation for people who are traveling and 
initially I thought it was just going to be when Roe fell, I thought it was just going to be mostly people from the Midwest, but we are seeing so we've seen so many people from Texas, people from Georgia, people from all over the United States. And it's not just like your proximity to the closest location that you want to travel to for your care, but it's also relationships. Like we have people coming from Georgia to Minnesota because they have family in Wisconsin and their family in Wisconsin can watch their kid who's who has special needs and they don't they can't find anybody else to watch their kid while they're going to this appointment. And they, they don't have any other community that they can lean on for recovery and things of that nature. And so it may not be like I'm going to go to the state that's closest to me because Texans can easily go to New Mexico, but I'm sure New Mexico is, has their own their own capacity issues that they're dealing with and been overwhelmed with so many people traveling there that we have people from Texas coming all the way up here to Minnesota. I think traveling and dealing with all the case management that goes in with helping somebody get from one place to another, because it's not just about booking a plane ticket or train ticket, or it's about making sure that the client one feels as comfortable as possible trying to navigate all these barriers and that it really is something that can realistically fit into their lives. We had somebody who was trying to come from Wisconsin to Minnesota and that's just like next door. And it was such, so many barriers. Uh, They didn't have a car. Uber doesn't drive to their location. They, how are we going to get them from their location to a bus station or a train station when there's no Ubers or taxis. So even having helping people travel from greater Minnesota, that has been an issue when there's there's the transportation infrastructure. I've learned so much about the, yeah. the lack of transportation <laughs> infrastructure in the United States just from supporting people trying to get from point A to point B. And so it's just really opened my eyes to that. And I think that has been the most the most challenging and the the newest challenge that we've had to deal with. I'm so glad that you mentioned SB8, which occurred in the fall of 2021. I was just recently writing a speech and I mentioned in my speech that SB8 felt like the beginning of the ground crumbling underneath of us. It was something that showed us what could potentially happen throughout this country. And in fact, it did. With the SBA decision, we all watched very closely how the Texas funds managed that with significant grief and resilience. And I can't imagine the the pressures that they were under. And after the Dobbs decision, again, reflecting on how those Texas funds navigated um, during their SBA decision really lended to the operational efforts of our own organization operating within two banned states. It's it was basically like the beginning of the end. And we had a North Dakota politician who was very enthusiastic about duplicating SB8 within North Dakota. And that directly impacts, of course, abortion seekers, but also our operations as an organization incorporated in the state of North Dakota. Luckily, we didn't see that in the 2023 legislative session, not to say that it won't happen. But that was definitely a place of fear. We, with the SBA decision, we started funding, again, Texans traveling to this region for care because your closest clinic might not be the soonest clinic, might not be the most practical clinic. 
And a direct flight from Houston or San Antonio is maybe quicker than making a 10-hour drive to Colorado or whatever that might be. So definitely like some logistics going on. Sheila mentioned like the, the travel that's required. I The state borders are basically arbitrary at this point. A flight is a flight. A yeah. clinic is a clinic. It's like the soonest that you can get in. What's affordable? What's practical? Can they provide fam- familial support if you're bringing your children? What's available to you there? People from Mississippi traveling to New York and people from Mon- North Dakota traveling to Washington, D.C. It's all it's all happening at this point. Yeah. And I just think it's important to just really ground in the fact that this is basic healthcare that's incredibly safe and routine for so many people that doctors are trained to provide and can provide. And they're having to get on a plane and find childcare and find family and stay at hotels. And I, I'm just thinking what came to my mind is a Texan getting off the plane in Minnesota at the temperature it is right now. Like even just that, like having to go through all of that to get routine, safe, basic medical care. And it's just, it's enraging. Like it's one of those things you have to choose not to think about too deeply too often because you will just be a pit of rage all the time. And and I just hear the compassion in your voice says, voice says because of the people you work with. And I think it just comes through so much like how people-centered the work is that you do and how, and I can hear the stories that you hear every day, like just peeking through, right? Like how devastating it must be to hear those stories. We've had, I think it's triple the number of -of out-of-state people having to come to Minnesota. And we will continue to be a place where people come to get healthcare and, and to be treated. And that it's so important for us to be that North Star and to be those good neighbors, whether it's actually a border state or not. But it's unacceptable that it has to be this way. It's just absolutely unacceptable. And it's legal to provide abortion care in Minnesota. It is legal to get an abortion in Minnesota if you are here, whether you live here or not. But the legality isn't the only, as you've demonstrated through all of these stories, legality is not the end, right? That is like the absolute floor. You can't access something, even if it's legal, then it doesn't matter if it's legal or not. And so talk to me about what the threat to abortion access in Minnesota looks like right now. I just want to chime in real quick about that exactly, and that there's a crisis with those border towns, as we said before. One of our clinics that we work with was completely uprooted from North Dakota. They had to move to Fargo. And again, with transportation access, a lot of folks aren't able to access their services. They're the only one in that area. So just because it's legal here doesn't mean that it's accessible to everyone who needs to get it. And sometimes folks who are there have to fly out and go somewhere else. So while we celebrate, it's we also have to be really cautious because when a system becomes too burdened, it can be crushed under the weight of overwhelm. And that's what we're experiencing. We're trying to make sure that our clinics that we work with can still exist because there's so much pressure coming. So it's like, we, it, we're here, but we need other support beams as well to exist. Otherwise, we can, we're, we can disappear as well. And I think that's something that we have to continue to uplift. Yeah. Our justice, we operate under the framework of reproductive justice where we um, want to see that, that people have the social, economic, and political power 
um, to have the right and the ability to have a ch child, the right and ability not to have children, the right and the ability to raise their children in safe and healthy environments. And that's just not a reality today. Like we were talking about, like the folks in Texas, like there is, I want to lift up her name, Jennifer Alvarez. She passed away because abortion wasn't an option for her. It really wasn't an option for her in her community. And birth wasn't even an option for her in her community. The closest um, labor and delivery room was 30 miles away from where she's, she was at. And abortion, she, had, she passed away due to complications from her pregnancy and abortion was never an option that was available to her, even between the logistical support and the financial support that we could have provided her our justice and prairie abortion fund, she wouldn't have gotten here in time. It's honestly saying if you don't have abortion care in your in your community, you're is a death sentence for some. And it was unfortunately a death sentence for Yennefer. So I want to uplift her name and uplift her story. And even if she were to come here to Minnesota for care, like Shavanda was saying, we could crush under the pressure. We have independent clinics here in Minnesota specifically, five independent clinics that we've been working with for years. And they've been seeing so many patients who have been patients who've traveled from outside of state. But these, and I personally used to work at an independent clinic. So I know what the conditions are of the independent clinics and the work that they do, how they approach their clients and their patients with so much compassion. But it's hard to do that when you're not even making a living wage. The people who are working at the independent clinics are not making living wages. The clinics haven't been able to have updated um, technology. So some of our clinics are still using paper form as well. There's hospitals who have state-of-the-art technology to do all kinds of stuff where they can't even get an iPad to check in patients. And so we really do need to invest in the infrastructure. Um, one thing that our justice has committed to doing in terms of like that investment is advocating at the state level for an increase in Medicaid reimbursement. So Minnesota is one of the few states where Medicaid can pay for abortion care, but the reimbursement rates have not been increased in over 10 years. So what the clinics are getting paid for the services does not match exactly what the services cost. There's like a big discrepancy. And clinics are eating the cost up to millions of dollars every year. And so one thing that we did last session that we're really proud of was get a 20% increase, even though we really need like a 70% increase. We were like coming at it bit by bit. And then um, this year we're going and asking for $30 million, which is just a one-time one -time investment to bridge that gap until we can get more increases for the Medicaid reimbursement. But we do need a financial investment because without that financial investment, to the independent clinics, we they won't be able to stay open. We won't be able to sustain ourselves. And quite frankly, between the hospitals, they already have a bottleneck of like people when it comes to discharging patients. They can't take on new patients. They're overwhelmed already. And yeah. there's only one Planned Parenthood that are offering surgical abort or excuse me, procedural abortion services in the state of Minnesota. And yeah, people think they're like, they see a Planned Parenthood and they think, oh, yes, there's so many around. They all do abortions. That's not true. A lot of them do pill abortions, but there are a lot of people who need or who would like to decide what type of abortion they want, whether it's procedural or the pill abortion. They should have that choice and they should not be forced into one decision over another just because there's a lack of access due to no investment, no financial investment in the infrastructure. So 
All that to say, we need some money for these clinics. Yes, that is the top line that I'm definitely taking away is that we can have all the legality of the world, but without financial support, we won't have actual clinics to provide care, which at that point, it won't matter if it's legal or not. It won't be here. And so that is what I'm hearing loud and clear. It's just, it's so, I've been thinking a lot about just the conversation we're having and the care and attention that you all do in your job every single day when you're providing support to pregnant people and also taking time out to have this conversation and how that just stands in stark contrast with what is happening in other states. So we have states where they've banned abortion and then there are people who are suing over those abortion bans in states. And and I want to be clear because I think one of the things that's happened since Roe was overturned and it became everybody, everybody's paying attention to it. Whereas before, like the people who knew it was coming were paying attention to it is that the story, and they're horrific stories of people who are pregnant and it's wanted pregnancies and they're having miscarriages or they're having fetal anomalies or they're having all amniotic fluid leaking down their legs, all of these things, and they're going into sepsis or they're dying or they're being arrested after having a miscarriage. And I don't want to set the narrative that the only people who have abortions are people who have wanted pregnancies. But that is what's rising to the top because I feel like it's supposed to be the thing that's the exception for all of these abortion bans. And in the fighting against these lawsuits that these Republican um, attorneys general are doing, it's just you see this like just deep disregard for the humanity of pregnant people. There was um, a woman in Tennessee who filed a lawsuit against an abortion ban um, because lack of access to abortion care left her sterile. And her the attorney general says that she doesn't have standing to file that lawsuit because she can't get pregnant anymore. That is how horrible they are treating pregnant people. And so it is just, and that's just one, that just puts one example. There are many more. And I think that is what just stands out to me is that this is before it was this false facade of we just care about women. We just care about babies. We just want people to be pregnant and safe and healthy. And that is absolutely not it. Because even people who are pregnant and it's not safe for them to be pregnant, people who are pregnant and by not being able to access abortion care, they will lose their ability to have more children or future children. They don't care. The whole point is to control bodies, to control our lives, and, and, and criminalize pregnancy outcomes. And we are seeing that just every single day. For sure. Even like with Brittany Watson, Ohio, yeah. we saw like how her miscarriage was criminalized. Like, the heck, y'all gonna take somebody to jail for having a miscarriage? Like, they turned her away from the emergency room, and then the nurse called the cops on her. So, I was like, what, what was she supposed to do? have the miscarriage at the police station. She went for help. They turned her away. She went home, miscarried, and then they arrest her. And bless that grand jury that dropped all the charges because they were like, no. But that's not going to happen in every case. And we do have people who are in jail for having miscarriages. And this will continue to happen. And that's why our work continues to be very important. Okay. We, I think, are arriving at the end of our time. So I want to just give everybody a last few minutes to just say anything that has popped into your head that maybe I haven't asked or covered or you want to say. And I'll start with you, Destiny, and bring your voice back in. I want to speak generally of abortion funds that, like Shayla mentioned, their fund has existed since 1969. These are organizations that are embedded in their community, that understand the needs of their community, both within their cities and their states and regionally. Minimizing the urge to reinvent the wheel, I think, is something that needs to be emphasized. Yeah. Um, there are abortion funds within your region. 
and you can find them and you can find out how to support them. But this urge to or savior complex to reinvent the wheel with maybe harmful language or redundancy does more harm to abortion seekers in the long run. So invest in your communities, invest in these existing resources, bring your voice to the table, which is also super important. But we don't need more organizations. We need investment into the existing ones. It's not for a lack of ideas that things are hard. It's because of a lack of funding and a lack of support. I really want to put a fine point on that by just saying yes. As a lawmaker, so often I watch myself and colleagues be like, we just found out about a problem. We should do this thing. And it's always, well, I know people know about this problem. People are doing something about that thing. Let's go join them. And that is the, the, absolutely the case here. People have been working for decades in this area. And it is a deep well of talent and knowledge and care and compassion and infrastructure that exists. And so plugging into that instead of trying to be like, I just found out about a problem. I want to solve it. Y'all have been solving it for, for decades. Siobhan, I'm going to come to you. I would say keep fighting, invest, and to tell your stories. Tell your stories. Talk about these stories. I love the idea of a book club. I'm just like, I love that idea. I love that there is this podcast that exists. The more that we can talk about our experiences, the more folks are made aware and understand the importance of abortion care. It is so valuable to share our stories and destigmatize abortion. It is, it's invaluable. So I just say share, invest, and keep fighting because we need as many institutions as possible doing this work. And Destiny just said the book club is virtual. Books are provided for free. Meet four times a year, but someone can join one, two, or all of them. Our past reading list is on our website. That's amazing. And then Shayla, I'll come to you for the last word and you can give the Our Justice uh, website too. I just want to start by uplifting the names of Brittany Watts and Yennefer Alvarez again, once again. We've seen how these ridiculous laws have impacted people across the nation, especially Black and Brown folks, especially immigrant folks, undocumented folks, queer, trans folks. And so I want to uplift their names and uplift their stories. I also want folks to really invest in, like Destiny said, invest in all of the resources that are already out there. Abortionfunds.org has a list of all the existing abortion funds and practical support groups out there that have been working on this issue for way before the follow row, ourjustice.net. That's our website. And we have a lot of resources on how to obtain abortion care in the state of Minnesota, um, how to get medical assistance for your abortion care, how to travel to and from Minnesota, all that. We have all those resources for you. I also want to say, if you're not able to volunteer, if you're not able to donate, you can still reach out to your legislators and let them know that this is an important issue for you, that you would like them to invest anytime a bill comes across their, their, their desk where there's an opportunity for them to do a financial investment into the infrastructure of the abortion care ecosystem in Minnesota, that they should be front and center, ready to sign, ready to put their weight behind it. Because we did so much last session to m remove all these restrictions that were real barriers to access. But without the clinics, people are not going to be able to 
get their care. Of course, there's abortion that you can access through the mail. There's abortion that you can access online. There's herbal abortions. There's all kinds of abortions, but people are always going to need procedural abortions in the clinic. And that's something that our independent clinic clinicians, they've been doing this for years and they are, they're really good at what they do and they love their patients and they've been taking care of our communities for so long. So they are worth the investment. I encourage you to reach out to your legislators and remind them to continue to invest in the infrastructure in Minnesota. Financial investment is so important. Yes, and I'll just say reaching out to your legislators does matter. I have it on good authority and it does matter. Uh, Thank you, Shayla, Shavanda, and Destiny so much for joining me for this conversation and for all of the work that you do. This has been the Gender Justice Brief. I do want to note that even though we currently release our episodes on Saturdays, we are going to start releasing them on Tuesdays. Next Saturday, you will not get an episode, but Tuesday, January 30th, you will get an episode and it will be great. Thank you all so much for listening and we will see you Tuesday, January 30th. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Gender Justice Brief. This show is produced by Gunter Janel and Audra Griegas. To keep up with our work in real time, be sure to check out the show notes for where to find us on the web, social media, and to sign up for text updates. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share to help us spread our message. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.